Welcome to this special edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. It's an open forum, and it's your time to call with your questions about the Bible, biblical teachings, and practical Christian living. Whatever's on your mind, call 631-955-5400 to be on the program, or text your question to Pastor Bill at 516-367-0391. Now, here's your host for today's open forum, Pastor Bill And this is Pastor Bill Shishko here with you for today's special edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. We've been urged to have more open forums in which you can call or text your questions about things related to the Bible or about specific biblical teachings or about practical Christian living. And so you're making the program today. You can call in and be on the program by calling 631-955-5400. Please, though, write your question out in advance. Uh, We don't want lengthy red statements, uh, but rather uh, specific questions will help. So 631-955-5400. Or you can text the question. A lot of you are more comfortable with texting questions. We actually already have one to begin the program. But if you'd like to text your question, uh, 516-367-0391. 516-367-0391. Again, your questions about the Bible or about biblical doctrine or about practical issues and uh, not able to uh, tackle it um impromptu as they say then well we'll have the others of these down the line incidentally you don't need to give your name we understand that some of you are not comfortable with giving your name we only give the first name anyway uh, so you don't have to give your name if you don't care to here's the first question for today's open forum and it's actually uh, grew out of last week's program last week's program which you can get in the archives at sermonaudio.com or visit the pastor's study uh, dot org is uh, on pastoral apologetics part two with uh, pastor paul vigiano those have been very well received programs and have prompted lots of, of questions and here's one uh, that, that we weren't able to deal with last week i find it could take a long time in relationships to have chances to talk about the gospel and remember that the gospel is is jesus christ his person and his work in history to deliver us from our sins Uh, The questioner continues, my life does show the gospel, but some friends ignore asking questions. I wonder if I'm not being bold enough. And this is from listener Denise up in uh, the Rhinebeck area of New York. Um, Denise, so appreciate the questions, and uh, I guess this is just the, <laughs> the my work with biblical text, so I I, uh, I, I parse is the word words, uh, and have done that with yours. Relationships. Um, you mentioned I find it could take a long time in relationships to have chances to talk about the gospel, and I appreciate you beginning that way, Denise, because it takes time to build trust and a closeness before most people will ask you questions about what you believe. We we don't live in a very interactive culture. We tend to be more of a social media culture, which which in many ways can almost be an anti-social media, but that's, that's for another day. Uh, the bottom line is people don't know us. 
Uh, they are bombarded by advertisements that make them cynical. They hear uh, popular personalities who will disappoint them. And all of that cultural baggage carries over so that when people deal with us, and, and this is a reality, brothers and sisters, that we've got to face, people don't think we're for real. Uh, they don't trust us, or they'll just use a glib term like a religious fanatic or a hypocrite like everybody else, as they'll put it. And it takes time for for people to really build trust in us and closeness and to and, and before they really will open up um, and even even in the New Testament when you're dealing with church officers I find it interesting that in Acts in the book of Acts chapter 6 where the the first group of deacons were called out as most believe they had to be men who were first of all of good reputation it's it's a, a word that, that basically means their testimony stands up in court. They are for real. Um, and, and the same thing with elders in 1 Timothy 3. They have to be people of, of, of a good reputation, particularly toward those who are not of the church. So I say all that to say this. Begin by building relationships with people so that you can really be honest with them and then they be honest with you. And then... Uh, and you'll hear this a lot, I'm sure, as we talk today. Pray, always pray, especially for opportunities to say something about Jesus and the gospel. Um, the, 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 I, I can't overstate that in, in your days. Pray each day before you go out uh, that you'll have an opportunity just to, to put a little pebble in somebody's shoe, as they put it. Uh, about things regarding Jesus and, and the gospel. Because God, folks, has got to open hearts. And if he doesn't open hearts, then, then we're, 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 setting, we're sowing seeds on stones, so to speak. Um, then, the, then the third thing I would say in this, Denise, and, and to all of you, the Bible does talk, first of all, about, in the, in the, in the level of the, I'm going to say the non-minister, um, and I would assume Denise is a woman, not a minister. Um, but 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 in in dealing with our our the the, the the say across the board Christian relations as laity, I'll use that word. The emphasis is always on our lives. Jesus says in Matthew five and verses fourteen through sixteen, "Let your light so shine before people that they may see your good works and glorify." your Father who's in heaven. That goes back to our testimony. They, they see that we're the real deal. We're the, we're the genuine article. Practical example, when you tell someone, um, they come to you and say, oh, you know, I just got bad news. I got, a, I got a diagnosis of cancer. Obviously empathize with them and say, I want you to know Jesus is the great physician and I'll be praying to him for, for his mercy on your life. Um, and then when you can come back to people and say, I've been praying, what are their results and, and, and how can I continue to pray? Well, that's a way of letting your light shine before others. And then while well, Second Corinthians 2 and verses 14 and following speaks about, really I think they're primarily about ministers and their official role of speaking the gospel, nevertheless it's true. We're all meant to be a fragrance of Christ, a beautiful expression uh, when, when people, as it were, smell you, do they smell the beauty and the loveliness of the Lord Jesus Christ? So now, but but your specific question, Denise, okay, is, is um, some friends ignore asking questions. I wonder if I'm not being bold enough. 
And brothers and sisters, the only perfect person was Jesus Christ. He was perfectly bold, and he was perfectly loving and gentle. And that's as you read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke and John, you see those things that seem to be contradictory, but they're not. And so um, all of us are going to we're going to fall one way or the other. Some of us are maybe a little bit too bold and not as gentle as we ought to be. Others of us are maybe a little bit too gentle and not as bold as we ought to be. And frankly, that's why we need one another. And in all cases, we're praying when we're done our interactions with people. We do some self-examination. Was I was I maybe not being very tactful in my boldness? Was I compromising when I was being gentle? You know, you do that. Um, but but we all need more and more wisdom about how to deal with people. And um, uh, boldness is, it, this is Pastor Bill's simple definition, it is saying all that we need to say in the way that we need to say it. And you're praying for wisdom as that, so that when you get done a conversation, you can say, I said everything that I believe I needed to say at that point in our relationship, um, and, and I also said it in the way I needed to say it. Maybe Denise and others, um, that that would be that's helpful. Um, also, do think of some probing questions that uh, you're praying for opportunities. But boldness is sometimes helped when we ask the bold questions. Um, I, I wouldn't pop this to someone on the street that you don't know. But when you are dealing with people, they've opened up to you. Perhaps they've said they have a terminal illness. Uh, to, to ask, may I ask you, and, and I ask this to my, of myself, if you died tonight, would the Lord let you into his heaven? That's a, it's a popular evangelistic diagnostic question that you could ask. Or someone you're talking with, someone you've gotten beyond the surface things, and to say to them, may I ask you, what do you believe our purpose is in, in being here in history, in this time and place? Uh, kind of an Ecclesiastes type of question. And of course, the, our answer would be, those of us who have learned the old catechism, is man's chief end, his chief purpose in life is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Uh, but to ask, what's our purpose? Or, or when you, especially when you come to uh, the, the times even a secular world thinks of as, as pointing them to Jesus, Christmas and, and Good Friday and, and Easter in particular, um, to ask, you know, as we think about uh, December 25th, what does the birth of Jesus mean to you? Or as we think of this Good Friday, what does the death of Christ mean? Or the resurrection? Uh, th those are questions that show boldness. It takes boldness to ask them. I think they're wise questions. They're important questions. Uh, but but there you go. Th those are some things. So, Denise, I uh, appreciate your question, and I hope that's that's kind of helpful to you. And uh, for the rest of you like to call, we are getting the text calls and the qu and the uh, phone calls, 631-955-5400. Uh, we have one line open now, 631-955-5400. Or if you'd like to text your question, 516-367-0391. We have Craig in Moriarty, New Mexico. Hey, Craig, welcome to a visit to the pastor's study. Thank you very much. I must admit, Craig, whenever I hear Moriarty, New Mexico, the only other time I've heard that term is in reading Sherlock Holmes. I don't know if your Moriarty was named after Sherlock Holmes's nemesis or not. 
Well, there was a family who established a city around 100 years ago by the name of Moriarty. Ah, okay, there you go. Well, maybe related to the notorious one. Hey, Craig, what's on your mind today? Well, in the Old Testament, there was a prophet and a king uh, in a room uh, and a bunch of arrows, and I think he had... The prophet had the king shoot one arrow out the window, and then he said to take the other ones and strike the floor. Mm -hmm. And as I recall, the king struck twice. And then the prophet said, you should have struck four or five times, and you would have uh, defeated your enemies. And my question is, how would the king have known to do that? Well, Craig, that's... (laughs) That that is an excellent an excellent question, and, and of course you're, you're speaking about the time of Elijah and Elisha, uh, when uh, there were the the wars with the enemies, um, and and I, I'm not sure I really have a good answer for you. I I have I've I've, I've mused over it myself. One answer would be that the Lord had already told the king in advance uh, the number of times that he was to strike. I kind of doubt that's the case. I think that would have been mentioned. I think more to the point is that when you're really desirous of something, you will continue to pray. You'll pray fervently, and you 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 will pray earnestly, and and you will want the Lord. Uh, the the language I tell people: God doesn't do anything by halves. Um, he 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 deals with us each day bountifully, and and I, I think that's probably more of what is in view there. If the king really wanted the victory, he would have been kind of pounding the floor with the arrow. So is that that's some, somewhat helpful to you? Yeah. All right. Well, Craig, thanks so much for calling. I appreciate you being a, a good listener to uh, to a visit to the pastor's study. And we have this question that's been texted in. The question is in the text Ezekiel thirty three fifteen. Uh, where it says, I love these biblical questions, and just to, to remind you today that if you can uh, want to ask questions about text, it is helpful if you uh, if you mention the specific text, as this listener did. Uh, but the question, again, now that I can, once I can get it back here on my trusty uh, phone here, is in the, in the text Ezekiel 33.15, and let me read that to you. Um, the, if the wicked restores the pledge gives back what he has taken by robbery, and walks in the statutes of life, not doing injustice. He shall surely live. He shall not die. And and so the, the questioner asks this, and this questioner is named Callie, um, where it says, If the wicked restore the pledge, give again that he's robbed, walking the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he will surely live. He will not die. Then in verse 16, it says if he's done that which is lawful and right, he will surely live. It cannot mean works, but it does sound like that. Would you comment? Um, that, that's a great question from Callie. Here's the situation in Ezekiel 33. Uh, remember that, 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 that Ezekiel's writing over a rather lengthy period of time in the 6th century before Christ, and it is a time that, that Judah, the southern kingdom, is going to be taken over by the Babylonians. And as Ezekiel's writing, um, sometimes he's referring to the time before uh, Babylon takes over Israel as it did in 586 B.C. Some of his reflections are afterwards. 
Um, and and uh, so, so uh, and, and and but this section is probably given in the context of 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 Israel knowing that it's going to be judged, and and so Ezekiel is saying to them, you need to be repentant. You you if you if if you are genuinely looking to the Lord, and he's, he's speaking about the righteous living, and we'll get to that in a minute. He says, I say to the righteous, he will live. Yet if he trusts in his righteousness and does injustice, none of his righteous deeds will be remembered, but his injustice that he's done, he shall die. So he's speaking here about real conduct in which in which uh, Israel, the people of God, professed people of God, were saying they believed in a God who had said, among other things, don't hold back what is due to a person like a pledge. Certainly don't rob people, and if you have, you have to pay it back. He's saying to them, if you really believe these things, and essentially you don't believe you're meriting God's judgment by disobedience, you need to be repentant. And so the repentance, this is Callie's specific question, is the wicked restoring the pledge, a commitment that, that the person has made and is not has not returned it, and that's why the person's called the wicked there, or gives back what he's taken by robbery. Now this is very similar um, to what Zacchaeus says in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Uh, he was clearly a repentant person, and his repentance is shown by the fact that he would pay back whatever he may have taken unjustly as a tax collector. Um, and it's significant that, that that's his, the mark of his repentance. So here, Ezekiel is saying, you're repentant, you are going to pay what you owe in a pledge, or you're going to pay back, you're going to give back, and they would actually have to do that with add an amount, what they'd taken by robbery, and walks in the statutes of life. That's obedience. Uh, we, we, we're meant to be an obedient people, not doing injustice. He shall surely live, he shall not die. That is not speaking about how a person is declared righteous before God. Uh, when when we turn from our sins and believe in the Lord Jesus and rest in him, his sacrifice for our sins, his righteousness for us, there is a declaration that we are righteous, that we are right with God in the in the courtroom of God, so to speak, because Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins and has provided perfect righteousness, we we are granted we are granted uh, a legal righteousness. That's not the language that's used here, though. Um, it's walking in the statutes of life, not doing injustice. Those who are truly believers in the Lord, those who truly look to the Lord, it's the Lord. They will obey. Their their obedience is an evidence of their faith. Um, that's why the Bible can talk about the obedience of faith or the obedience that comes from faith. Uh, or or y you have, and I think this is the way this language is, is used, when in, in Romans 8.13, the Apostle Paul says, If by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He's not talking about being declared right with God. Uh, he's not even talking about being made right with God. He's talking about the way we walk in the way that not only shows our faith, but secures God's blessedness. And that we must keep in mind. 
there are genuinely there are genuine believers in the Lord. They but but for various reasons in various ways they are disobedient, and they are they're hurting themselves. They are scarring themselves. It doesn't take away from their being genuine Christians if they are genuine Christians. But 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 you you you're scarring yourself so to speak, and you don't want to do that. And so going back to Ezekiel and what he's saying in Ezekiel 33. Clearly, he says, you don't trust in your righteousness. He's made that clear. What he's saying to Israel is if you're serious about not wanting to be judged and you are serious about walking in the way that God smiles on you and enjoying his blessing, then these are specific things the wicked are meant to do. Uh, but, but, Callie, that really is an excellent question. We've got more of them coming in. This is an open forum on uh, today's visit to the pastor's study. Uh, remember your questions about the Bible, Bible doctrine. If you want to ask about the Bible, it's helpful to have the, the text there with you. And uh, the Bible doctrine or practical issues, 631-955-5400. If you'd like to be live on the program, if you'd like to text your question, as people are doing, 516-367-0391. We'll be back after this message from the voice of a visit to the pastor's study. That great city, New York. Metropolitan New York is the largest city in the United States. And with a population of over 20 million people, Metro New York is one of the largest cities in the world. And what's more, Metro New York is home to people from every nation of the world. To reach Metro New York is to reach the world. But churches faithful to historic Reformation Christianity in the Metro New York area are few and far between. The mission fields of Metro New York are America's richest, and most neglected. Reformation Metro New York is an agency by which the Orthodox Presbyterian Church is planting and developing biblically faithful churches and church ministries in the Metro New York area. Through Reformation Metro New York, you can help promote the outreach of this program, a visit to the pastor's study, and other projects designed to further the ongoing reformation of the church. That and church planting are the great passions of Reformation Metro New York. For more information, Information, check out the website at ReformationMetroNY.org where you'll get a personal look at the ministries of the churches, pastors, evangelists, and teachers of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in the area, and you'll learn how you can be a part of our labors. We need your help. Here's the site again, ReformationMetroNY.org. Thanks for your interest and your help. Remember that great city, New York. To reach Metro New York is to reach the world. Now back to today's edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. And this is Pastor Bill Shishko here with you. We've got loads of questions. You're still welcome to text them, 516-367-0391. Or if you'd like to call and be on the program, please don't be intimidated by that, 631 955 And if you're going to refer to a specific biblical text, um, it's uh, helpful for me, I think for all of us, if you have that text, as Jim does. Jim has texted in a question. He says, God bless you and the radio ministry. This is coming from Jim in Ezekiel 44, verse 25. It is saying that you cannot defile yourself except for a dead person, being a father, mother, son, or daughter, or brother, or sister that has no husband. Why is the wife not mentioned? Thank you very much. Um, I'm not sure I'm, I'm exactly understanding Jim's question. Let me let me have a go at it. I, people must be reading the book of Ezekiel, which is not one of the easier Bible books to understand. Uh, but always keep context in mind. And in Ezekiel chapter 44, the last part of Ezekiel, 
uh, basically chapters 40 through 48, are, are fascinating, fascinating texts uh, which really are looking forward to uh, this this new temple that God is going to build, which is ultimately in glory in, in heaven. And uh, we have earthly pictures of it here in churches. But keep that in mind. Chapters 40 through the end of the book, uh, chapter 48, are by and large about this new temple God is building. And in Ezekiel 44, uh, we have rules for Levitical priests. And, and so we're not... The, the, the rule is that the, the Levitical priest, who is to have exemplary holiness, uh, there were standards for these people who represented the people to God uh, that, that, were, that were above and beyond, so to speak, the standards that God gave to others in many cases. So when it says they, that is the Levitical priest, shall not defile themselves by going near to a dead person. However, for father or mother for son or daughter, for brother or unmarried sister, they may defile themselves. Now, that what that means is not sin, but but it would be permitted. For example, when there is a a loved one who has died, obviously there has to be preparation of the body, and and so what Ezekiel is saying is for the father or the mother, and there is a reference to the mother there, or the son or the daughter or brother or unmarried sister, they may defile themselves. And I think, I think uh, Jim's question is, why, why does it say the unmarried sister? And I don't really know what the answer is. I actually have a little question mark in my Bible as well. It's not something I've researched. Um, so probably because, the, I w- this is just a guess now, okay, uh, a married sister um, w- would we'll say the sister of a brother who died, was meant probably to be represented by her husband doing this. In the Old Testament, uh, not infrequently, as with circumcision, for example, males are singled out. In property rights, males are singled out, although significantly uh, very different from other parts of the pagan world. God did grant women property rights, but normally it's the male as the head of the family or a leader of a tribe or whatever, that's the reason why the, there, there, there can seem to be this male focusness. Now, l- let me give the bigger picture. This is beyond what, what Jim asked. But all of this is pointing us forward to Christ, who is the great Levitical priest. He, he, is, he is, I should say, he's the great priest. Uh, he was not of the tribe of, of Levi, but he was above and beyond that, so to speak. Uh, the writer of Hebrews makes that point. And so here you had exemplary holiness in Christ, and you might ask the question, but wait a minute, uh, Jesus, he went to the grave of Lazarus. He, he touched the, 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 the child, the dead child of the widow of Nain. Well, number one, Jesus was above the Levitical priest. He wasn't of that order. And second, Jesus, because he was above it and transcended it, did better than that. And he he could touch a body and not only not be defiled by it, but raise it from the dead. He was giving a foretaste of what Ezekiel gives in chapter 40 through 48 as figures of, a, of the world of new heavens and new earth, in which is no more death and no more sorrow and no more crying. Um, so, so, Jim, I'm going way beyond your question but sometimes we, we can get so focused on one specific question, which is a good one, 
that we lose we lose the bigger picture in here. I'd suggest you may want to do some research yourself on Ezekiel uh, 44, verse 25. Why does it say the unmarried sister? Uh, keep in mind, this is to Levitical priests. Uh, that's where the, the order, the order to stay away from the dead bodies is. And never forget, the Bible is always about sin and Jesus. And the Old Testament points us forward to this Jesus who is uh, does far, far greater things uh, than any of the Levitical priests in the Old Testament could do. So we are uh, moving forward here on our open forum for today. If you'd like to call in with your questions, anything about the Bible, Bible doctrine, practical issues, 631-955-5400, or to text your questions, which most of you seem to prefer. And you can do that any time during the week. Uh, anytime you have questions, we may need to wait for our next open forum. Uh, but anytime you have these questions, sometimes I'll answer them personally. I try to. Sometimes we'll wait, as we did with Denise's question. Uh, but if you'd like to text 516-367-0391. Here's a question from a listener. Um, I, I want you to get the, the pathos, the poignancy of this question. And here I'm thankful that I, I as I always am, I have my, my better half uh, pastor's wife Margaret Shishko with me, and, and because some of these questions from listeners, uh, I think can be helped uh, getting a woman's perspective. Uh, she's here with me. Here's here's the question from a listener: uh, I am brokenhearted over one of my children who's not following the Lord faithfully. My husband and I tried to raise him right. I'm not sure if this child is outside of the home or not. Can you help me? Um, we all. I think I, 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 I want to go so far as to say that most of us who have raised children know something of what it's like to have a prodigal son or daughter, um, at least for a while, and, and, and we'll come to that in just a moment. But again, I, I'm looking at, at the words that I take seriously. I am brokenhearted mm. over one of my children who is not following the Lord faithfully. Um, brothers and sisters, our Christian milieu is wants to always be a happy one. Um, it's a milieu of your own best life now. Uh, it's a milieu of if you're sad, you don't have enough faith. Um, and, and that, folks, is a lot of baloney. It has no place in, in, in the... It's an overstatement, I'll put it that way, of what the scriptures say. Our best life... For the Christian is in glory, and let's never forget that. And this side of glory, it's always union with Christ and his resurrection, yes, but also in his death. And that means that suffering in one way or the other, whether it's emotional or physical or psychological or spiritual, is part and parcel of every genuine Christian life. So when when this listener says, I'm brokenhearted over one of my children. I want to encourage you as a pastor. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 5 and verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. And when you have a prodigal child, it is like a death. And and uh, you mourn in that way. They will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. A righteousness in your child. You, Christian parents want their children to be right with God. They want them to live right according to God's word. And and those are the th- that's the stuff of righteousness. And and so when when Jesus says blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be filled. 
be in, being comforted that, that that's exactly what you're doing. Um, you know, and then text Isaiah 51, 17, Isaiah 66, 2. There's so many of them. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Uh, and, and, and so I appreciate that and would, would encourage this, this listener without a name um, about that. Um, second, I would say I, I have one of my children who's not following the Lord faithfully. That's even true of God. And God is perfect. Isaiah chapter 1, another one of the prophets, like Ezekiel, like Ezekiel, like Jeremiah, writing to a, a wayward people, the, the land of Israel, the land of Judah. And, and the Lord says, he st- oh, the book starts out like this. God, the perfect God, says, I have raised up children, and they've rebelled against me. And, and when I hear well-meaning people say, if you raise your children properly, they'll follow the Lord faithfully. I open up my Bible and read the text and say, where did God go wrong? And, and the fact of the matter is, in the mystery of the way God deals with people in the world and in his covenant, there will be prodigal children. Um, so so that what I would say, though, practically... Um, can you help me with this? Always have clear channels of communication with your children. They're not first wayward children or faithful children. They're first your children. And you are meant to bring them up in the child training and admonition of the Lord and be an example to them. And I would say, uh, where you must ask forgiveness, do it. There have been many occasions with our own children. We've raised six uh, that when I've sensed there's been a barrier in our communication, I've had to say, has Dad done anything that, that would have been a stumbling block to you or marred our conversation? And, and sometimes the children would. They would open up and say, Dad, you did this. It was offensive. Well, ask forgiveness and get the channel of communication open. Okay, so, so have clear channels of communication. The other that I would say, and, and I've got my wife here to add to this, a couple of other things. Prodigal son story is in the Bible. Uh, the, the, the prodigal son is really, the father there represents God the Father, who has a child that has sold his inheritance and has gone into the far country and is eating with the pigs. And, and it's in the Bible, like it or not. And, and those of us who have been prodigal children, um, what do we say while we regret our being in the far country? Um, we, f- we, 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 f- we f- now feel that sin that we were brought up to avoid. And, and we, we're like a child who was told not to put his hand on a stove, and he does or she does, and is burned. They never forget that, especially if there's scars. And, and so, so some children, many of them, all of them, need to feel their own sin, sometimes in painful ways, mm-hmm. and God will permit them to go into the far country. What you do uh, is pray that your prodigal, in this case a son or daughter, come to their senses and return to you and be ready to rejoice as the angels do in heaven. And then always, always, always show the love and the mercy and the goodness and the long-suffering of God to your children. Romans 2 and verse 4, I love it. Don't you know that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance? Now, goodness includes telling the truth. Goodness includes uh, speaking honestly to our children when they're living wayward lives. Uh, But don't you know that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance? And Peter says in 2 Peter 3, don't forget the long-suffering of God. 
and he uses the word there for, for long-suffering with people. Uh, endurance is with trials. Long-suffering is with people that can drive you nuts or with prodigal children that can just make you weep and grieve. Don't you know, he says, it's the long-suffering of God that leads us to repentance. And and I would say, look, work that out in, in your family. Certainly express your heart to your children. Margaret, I've been blathering on <laughs> a bit, but I so appreciate the question. Things you'd want to add? Well, I think you covered most of everything that I was thinking of, and I think that continuing to show the love of Christ to them and is very important, and that our hope is that... and. We know that Christ is going to be honored by his Father in every generation. And he gives special promises to us that he will be a God to us and our yeah. children. Yeah, that's a great... We've reminded ourselves that his truth endures to all generation. In the end of Ephesians 3, mm-hmm. uh, that he, he will be honored in all generations. And we pray for that. He's, right. He's going to honor Christ. And it may not be in the way we would want it and in our time frame. But he promises, and we live out of his promise, that he will continue to strive with them. And be a God to us and to our children. And and the other thing I would add in all of this, I can say this from years of pastoral experience, uh, there have been many parents who have prayed earnestly for their children, and it's after they are in glory that the Lord does his work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I could put many specifics on that, but, but be encouraged by it. Uh, if you'd like to call in with your questions for this open forum, 631-955-5400, and texting your questions, 516-367-0391. Hey, real quickly, just so you know about this program, it is presented to you uh, by uh, churches, congregations of the denomination called the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and uh, we are part of a, a body of churches called a Presbytery and those congregations are all all right in the WLIE listening area. And uh, many of you have churches of similar faith and practice in the Redeemer Broadcasting area. Uh, but, but we have congregations in East Haddam, uh, Harvest Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and in Hamden, Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Those are in Connecticut. And then here in New York, uh, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Mount Vernon, and which is an outside of New Rochelle. Um, for those of you not familiar with New York, that's a bit north of New York. We call it upstate. <laughs> and then uh, here on Long Island uh, in Queens, we have the Reformation Presbyterian Church in Fresh Meadows. And right here on Long Island, Orthodox Presbyterian Churches in Franklin Square and Bohemia and Trinity Church in Syosset. And uh, they're not the only faithful churches, but they are among them. And we would invite you to uh, look into them. Uh, they bring to you personally the kind of pastoral ministry we hope to have every week on a visit to the pastor's study. You can check out our archives as, at visitthepastorsstudy.org. That's all one word, visitthepastorsstudy.org. You can just Google in, visit the pastor's study. You'll get our official site or, or the site on sermonaudio.com, a visit to the pastor's study where we have been blessed to see this pastoral ministry go from the airwaves here on Long Island literally throughout the world, and we'd love to be a part of that. If you'd like to email me, visit Pastor Bill at gmail.com visit pastor bill that's all one word at gmail.com this is another uh, this is another uh, question that has come to us from a listener uh, no name attached um, and I'm this is one of the reasons why, why I'm glad I have my better half with me today because the question is this 
what does it mean for a woman to dress modestly? Now, let me let me interrupt the question for just a minute here. Uh, what does it mean for a woman to dress modestly? And as a minister of the Word, I'm always thinking of how you go to the Word of God for what the Word of God says to guide us. And and basically, the the text that I, I'm quite sure the, the 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 listener is referring to is First Timothy two and verse nine. Uh, where where the woman is to behave herself, the the Greek word for honorable there, actually it's the word kosmios, we get the word cosmetic from it, interestingly, really means honorable, respectable, or well-arranged, which, you know, as I was telling my wife, if I said to you you're very well-arranged, <laughs> she'd probably slap me. <laughs> what, does, what does that mean? I, the idea is this. Um, uh, the woman is, 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 is not to be a slob. Okay, not men aren't to be either. Um, she's got to, by her own dress and demeanor, show that she respects herself. I, th- I think that's the idea. And, and respects her femininity and the fact that, that she's meant to, to look beautiful. Um, so I think that's the and that's why we use the word cosmios. Cosmetics are used to, although Margaret, you really don't need them, uh, but but cosmetics are used, ladies, to kind of help out along the way with different things. But the other for modesty in First Timothy two ten, uh, it's the Greek word idus, is is meaning to be reserved in the matter in sexual matters. Um, idus or idos, uh, one writer says the word connotes. Um, a, a reserve in the matters of sex, in the, in the in the word is involved in innate moral repugnance to the doing of the dishonorable. It is it is shame fastness. In other words, you don't want to give in to shame, which shrinks from overpassing the limits of womanly reserve and modesty, which would be probably what's referred to in the previous word as well as from dishonor, which would justly attach thereto. Now, I don't want to steal your thunder, but what, Margaret, but what, what this says in part is, ladies, you can't say, well, it doesn't make any difference how I dress. If a man is tempted to lust after me, that's his problem. You can't say that. That is his problem, but you have a responsibility in the way you dress. Anyway, the questioner says, um, what does it mean for a woman to dress modestly? Those are the words. How do we dress fashionably and modestly? And I guess that means that probably most fashions today, in many cases, aren't very fashionable. How do we dress fashionably and modestly without looking old-fashioned? I need help in advising my daughter. There you go, Margaret. We have a daughter. Well, I think, um, of course, you can dress fashionably. You can wear adorable clothes and, uh, you know, crisp, clean clothes. You get your hair groomed. I think, you know, well-groomed is really one of the things you're talking about. Yeah, that would be part of being well-arranged, well-groomed, yeah. I think that um, you can be modestly dressed and still act inappropriately. Uh, The catechism tells us we're not to have wanton looks, like flirtatious looks or flirtatious comments. Uh, we're to be sober-minded, and we're to always be helping our brothers in Christ to focus on Christ's purity and righteousness. And I think when a woman reflects that purity, we're helping not to be a stumbling block. And, of course, when you dress in a way that's inappropriate, 
there are severe warnings to those who would cause someone else to stumble. It says, uh, you know, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it's better that it would be better that a millstone would be hung around your neck and thrown into the sea. It's pretty severe. You know, it says um, temptations will come, but woe to those who bring temptations. Yeah, I think let me cite the text again that the that the listener is referring to in the question. First um, Timothy two and verse nine, uh, after talking about the role of, of men in the church, a leadership role there. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self control. And, and that's the word for being well-arranged, disciplined in the way you look, and so on. Not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, which doesn't mean you can't braid your hair or wear, or wear jewelry uh, or even wear something that might cost a little bit. But the point is, it's not where your beauty is. That's, that's the emphasis here, as it would be in Peter, the Apostle Peter. But, what, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Um, and and the, the, the other language that's used in there... Um, for, for modesty um, it, it, it is just what Margaret said the wanton looks okay you, you can uh, a woman can be dressed modestly and can be very flirtatious and and so that so, so you're, you're having more the more kind of ex, the, the, the ex, external aspect there and then the internal but but the but the caller said other practical advice you'd give I think how do we speak to our daughters? And they are naive in their youth and immature, and so the fashions capture them. And the, but we really have to be forthright and honest to explain to them that certain dress is inappropriate. Yeah, too tight, cleavage showing, too short. Thank Let me you. be specific. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to. Be too specific, but since you called well, it out, that's your husband. It says, you know, the, if the fashion world has a, a an equation, if the if the dresses are long, the this uh, the bodice part or the upper part is low. If the uh, upper part is covered, then show more legs. So you know, yeah. they know what they're doing. They know what attracts attention. So you really have to be on guard and not let them set your standard and say you know what this is an adorable skirt how can i wear it Uh, maybe i need to add a little bit of length to it or put something under it so it's not too short especially when i'm sitting down or bending over you know keep these things in mind and moms and dads have the boldness i think it should begin with the mom um to because you're better able to advise if you see something that is is, that is improper or or even conduct your daughter might have that that seems to be flirtatious or whatever don't mention in public take them aside and have a talk with them about modesty and i'd also mention we're going to have a going to have a message from the voice of a visit to the pastor's study in a moment but uh, just only add in in there two things um uh, first of all the, the the there are many books available that, that deal with modesty and you can read those the second is romans 12 1 and 2 don't don't your bodies are living sacrifices don't be conformed to what victoria's secret says you're to be wearing all right 
um, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that comes by what the Word of God says. Hey, we got more questions on a visit to the pastor's study. This is our open forum. If you'd like to call or text, you've got to do it now because we're running out of time. 631-955-5400 or the text 516-367-0391. We'll be back in a minute. It's not enough to listen to pastors on the radio or to watch them on television. Everyone needs a biblically faithful pastor, and everyone needs a biblically faithful church. A visit to the pastor's study is a ministry of the Orthodox Presbyterian churches in the metropolitan New York area. We're no substitute for a faithful pastor in a local church, but we are a supplement. Visit our website, www.visitthepastorsstudy.org, and you'll find the ministry of this program Extended right to your electronic device. Here you'll find archives of past programs, a weekly message from Pastor Bill's Pastor's Post, helps for pastors, helps for congregation members, material for officer training, and much more. That's www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. And we also invite you to contact the host of this program, Pastor Bill Shishko. You can email him at visitpastorbill at gmail.com. He'd love to hear from you so that he can bring his pastoral ministry to you personally. That's visitpastorbill at gmail.com. Remember, everyone needs a pastor. And now back to today's edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Pastor Bill Shishko here with you. We've got just a few minutes left. We have another question from a listener that preferred uh, to have the question read on the air. Um, on your program, Hospitality, Gods and Hours, which is in our archives that you can get from sermonaudio.com, uh, Hospitality, Gods and Hours, you spoke about opening our homes to show people the hospitality of God. I want to do that with my neighbors, but I don't know how to begin. Can you give me some practical suggestions? Um, yes, the, the, the first practical suggestion I would give is this, how timely uh, the book by Rosaria Butterfield, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, has just come out. I have started it. It is dynamite. The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. And, and just a preface to whet your appetite. Radically ordinary hospitality. Those who live it, those who live it see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as family of God. They recoil at reducing a person to a category or a label. They see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. They know they, those who exercise the hospitality, are like meth addicts and sex trade workers. They take their own sins seriously, including the sin of selfishness and pride. They take God's holiness and goodness seriously. They use the Bible as a lifeline with no exceptions. Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality, the phrase, Rosaria Butterfield used in her books, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. Wow, that ought to whet your appetite for the book. But in answer to the question, going back to our program, which I commend to you, Hospitality, Gods and Ours, uh, look at the texts in the Bible, Romans 12 and verse 13, 
1 Timothy 3.2, speaking to elders, Titus 1 and verse 8, speaking to elders. Or you can just look up hospitality and a concordance. Basically, it means love to strangers, love to people you don't know, whether they be refugees or, sorry to say, they may be your next-door neighbors that you don't know. So I commend the, the listener for being concerned to uh, show hospitality to their neighbors, practical advice um, for you and for others. And incidentally, the early church, this was the way the early church did evangelism. They didn't have church buildings for centuries. They met in homes and they showed hospitality. Uh, But um, begin by praying for your neighbors. Show love to your neighbors in practical ways. Get to know them. What we said before about their building up confidence in you, at least here in metropolitan New York, you get to know your neighbor, invite him or her for a meal at the house. They wonder if you're going to rob from them, so you've got to be careful. And then then pray with your neighbors at points when they say they know you're a Christian and they mention a need, may I pray with you. But beyond that, Margaret, you're the, you're the one. We've got a couple minutes. Can you give us two or three practical suggestions? I think that what you said is that everything that God gives us is given to us, and we're to be stewards of it. Not, it's not grasping it as this is mine. These are my, my house, my furniture. Even with children, these are my children. They're given to us to help prepare them to go out and proclaim who Christ is. And yes, there is a vulnerability in opening up your home in some ways, but. It's good for us to have that vulnerability because Christ is our example. He became poor for our sakes that we might become rich. He left the wealth of heaven and his father's communion. He became us. And I think we have people of every tongue and language and every walk of life in our home. We begin to see the glory that God has ordained to honor his son. He's going to save people from every walk of life. Um, and he does it by being hospitable. He yeah, he invites us in, his house. into Absolutely. his home. And in our church life, we cannot say this is our church because Christ died for it. Yeah. It's his church. He opens yeah. the door wide. And, and we must also. And he doesn't believe in stealing. Well, we'll have to take a whole other program, I think, maybe to develop that one because we are just about out of time. I remember that tomorrow is the Lord's Day. Please seek out a church that is faithful to the Word of God in your area because you want a church that opens up the Bible as the Word of God and always puts Jesus front and center because the Bible is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for your contributions today to a visit to the pastor's study, and we'll look forward to doing the same thing next week because, remember, everyone needs a pastor. You've been listening to a special open forum edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study, a ministry of Reformation Metro New York Incorporated and the Orthodox Presbyterian Churches of Metropolitan New York and Connecticut. For more information on the program, check out our website at www.visitthepastorstudy.org. That's www.visitthepastorstudy.org. Listen in next Saturday at 1 p.m. for another open forum edition of A visit to the pastor's study. Remember, everyone needs a pastor.